You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. What, that thing? <laughs> Sacred, I assure you. Come now, Higgins, you know what I mean. This is no trifling matter. Are you a man of good character where women are concerned? Have you ever met a man of good character where women are concerned? Yes, very frequently. Well, I haven't. I find the moment I let a woman make friends with me, she becomes jealous, exacting, suspicious, and a damn nuisance. And I find the moment that I make friends with a woman, I become selfish and tyrannical. So here I am, a confirmed old bachelor, and likely to remain so. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. That is... Professor Henry Higgins and Colonel Hugh Pickering from My Fair Lady, the 1964 musical turned movie. Great film if you've never watched it. Great film to watch with the family if your family's never watched it. But very funny. And I love that back and forth. For some reason, it's just been replaying over and over in my head. And like a song you can't get out of your head until you play it through. Maybe we just need to watch My Fair Lady. I don't know. In any event, welcome back. Today is January 11th, 2022. And I am not a confirmed old bachelor. In fact, I'm still fairly young. I don't know if I feel it here lately, but I'm still fairly young and happily married and my wife and I are expecting any minute now any hour now any day now <laughs> I'm sure my wife would prefer any second now our seventh son our eighth child being born and for that matter on that note this episode I want to do something a bit different and I want to talk to men who maybe are in the very same place that I am, but this is their first. If you're expecting your first child, or even if you're expecting your eighth, it can be a stressful time. In part, and this is what I want to get into, is what the whole business is like on the man's side of the equation. In part, there's a feeling of helplessness. Now, very grouchy women might retort, well, if you think it's bad for the man, just imagine what it is for the woman. But hear me out. You ladies, you can take a number. I'll address your complaints after I'm done. But it is important that men have a good mindset with regards to their wives going into labor, being pregnant, but then going into labor and delivery and all that. It's important that they have the right mindset as well. And it is a difficult thing because if you are a man who loves your wife, who wants to protect your wife, who wants to serve her well, who wants to make her happy, to serve her well by making her happy sometimes or providing for her and protecting her other times. 
happy or no, it can be very helpless to sit back while she's in labor. Labor is typically not the hap hap happiest time of the year. <laughs> labor is typically tense and painful and uncomfortable and at least tinged with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of worry, a little bit of expectation and hope and curiosity and horror, even if I dare say, because it's a strange and wonderful and terrible thing when a person comes into the world. Now, to give full props to my wife, she does very well. She does very well with the whole labor and delivery thing. And I credit her with years and years and years ago deciding very early on that she didn't want any painkillers. She didn't want an epidural. She didn't want anything unnecessary in the way of medical intervention, medicine, any of that. Just let my body do its thing that God designed it to do and stand by. Stand by, stand back. I'll let you know if I need you. If it's an emergency, something's not going the way that it's supposed to, you have extenuating circumstances, well then, I'll be glad to call on you. But until that time, or barring that possibility, just get out of my way. And she doesn't say it that way. I'm saying it the not nice Garrett way. She says things much more sweetly, or just doesn't say them at all in so many words. I sometimes have to help translate for people who are not picking up on what she's putting down. But usually she's pretty good at the nonverbal and less is more. She's very efficient with her communication. And very, very early on with our first, even though we had Josiah and Eli at the hospital and probably said yes to more things than we now would after further research, it was Lauren's conviction that she didn't want anything unnatural potentially affecting negatively our child or children. You need to be arti you, you need to be able to articulate it. If you want doctors, nurses, for us to accept some medical intervention during an otherwise normal, not every day, but normal process, you're gonna have to be able to argue your case. And if you can't argue your case or you just don't want to, well then kindly keep it to yourself. Sell it somewhere else because we're not buying. If it's so necessary, you should be able to explain it in simple terms. If you can't explain it in simple terms, then maybe it's not necessary or maybe you don't understand this well enough to be the one applying the treatment. Can we please see someone else? Being able to explain things well and clearly and simply is a mark of better understanding. You don't explain things in more and more complicated ways. The better you understand them, you explain them in simpler and simpler ways because you've broken down the big complex original question 
into more manageable parts. But there's always a certain point in labor where my wife will tell me, I just don't know how much longer I can do this. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like I can do this forever, which is well, because you're not supposed to, right? But it seems as though that point always comes right before the conclusion. That is always right before the last push and it's done. And here he is, or far less often in our context, here she is, just the once. One baby girl, very rare, very special. But with the man side of things, it's a helpless feeling you feel when your wife is hurting, uncomfortable. She is not going to be made comfortable, really, truly, until she has this baby. And to some extent, labor and delivery, in order for, in my case, the husband, it really always should be the husband. But in the case of the husband, the father, sometimes the most helpful thing you can do is to give her some space, give her some room, give her the confidence that you got this. You just let me know if you need something from me. And especially early on, our early pregnancies, first few pregnancies, I could tell there was a certain point at which I had asked her if there was anything I could get for her, anything I could do for her one too many times. And it was no longer helpful. In fact, I was asking to comfort myself so that I felt like I was doing something when what really she needed was for me to just be with her, just to be present. It may not seem like that would do so much, but sometimes that's quite enough. Sometimes you have to, men, you have to give your wife a little bit of room, give her some space, let her breathe, let her just kind of like get in the zone, think about what's going on, what's happening, help her to focus up, by removing some distractions. Sometimes you just need to be with her, let her know that you're there. You don't have to say a whole lot. You don't have to recite epic poems to her or leap tall buildings because labor and delivery isn't first and foremost something that you're doing. So I've caught, I think all of our children, they're a little bit slippery when they're born. And so I haven't caught very well one or two of them it kind of slipped out of my hands a little bit just to, just for an instant as I was trying to catch them but I'm not the one who has delivered our children that's a, that's a funny little game with language that I think needs to stop because it implies a kind of passivity on the part of the mother the mother's the one who's delivering this child. Now you may be assisting, you may be helping, you may be there for moral support or to get her a hot towel or get her some ice chips or something like that to put your fist in her back because the contractions are 
intense. Her back is sore. But it's something that, first and foremost, your wife is doing. And you're on the sidelines. That helpless feeling, I think, can also be seen in a positive light. So if you look at this as, I don't know if this is going to make sense or sound weird, but if you can look at it as a confidence builder, I mean, you can't really, you can't really deliver her or this child from the pain of the moment. It's just, it's part of the curse. It's a funny thing. When you look back in Genesis, what is the curse that is pronounced when God confronts Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden? Adam and Eve are ejected, evicted from the garden. Angelic guard is posted to prevent re-entry. But the man is told that work is going to be hard and toilsome. He's going to have to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. It's not going to be easy anymore like it used to be, like it was originally. It's going to be painful and difficult. The ground is going to stubbornly resist him and produce thorns and thistles, which stab at his hands when he's trying to cultivate. The woman, for her part, is going to wish that she could rule over her husband. She's going to have that temptation constantly to want to nag him, to run his life, but he will be the head over her. And that relationship won't be quite as easy and free as it would be otherwise because she'll want to rule to wear the pants in the family and he'll, in fact, be the head of the home. That's going to make for conflict. The second piece is that the woman would have pain in childbirth. And I wonder at that, that last piece especially, pain in childbirth presumably wasn't going to be a part of the original way of things. If any children had been born before the fall, presumably it wouldn't have been a painful thing. Isn't that curious? One has to wonder. But I will say this too. In all of the births of our children, Lauren's and my children, I have never seen or heard my wife lose her temper, lose her cool, start cursing and yelling at me or anybody. She doesn't do the screaming bloody murder like from the TV shows and the movies. I don't know if women do that. My wife doesn't do that, which is par for her. She's a quiet, soft-spoken woman. But it's a funny thing. I was expecting that from having grown up watching TV and movies where a woman who's giving birth is always just like, you know, like screaming and you did this to me, like pointing at the father. Not my Lauren anyways, not an expert generally. I am an expert on my wife, but beyond that, I can't verify, can't validate or invalidate whether that's typical. Another thing I'm really thankful for in all of our deliveries, we've never had a C-section. 
never had to, I think that would be hard. That would be really, really hard. Normal delivery is already difficult enough, I guess you could say. A C-section. But again, thankfully, and I think this is partly because my wife has chosen to reject unnecessary medical procedure, unnecessary medical intervention, we haven't had to have C-sections. C-sections are convenient in the sense that you pick the time and manner of the delivery. Sometimes I understand there are medical emergencies where make that, which make that inescapable. But I think far more of the time C-sections happen because the way that hospitals and modern medicine manage the whole birthing process, the way we approach the birthing process, causes women to stall out during labor. They're in an unfamiliar place like a hospital. They don't like the doctor. They don't like the nurse. This weird smells, those weird hospital smells of other people who are sick or dying or have died or just weird, right? It just smells weird. And I was trying to explain this to my children because, of course, children want to know and they want to understand these things, and that's good. So this is a teachable moment, but I told my children, Daniel and Evelyn, that, you know, imagine this were a mother deer we were talking about. This is your mother deer, but imagine it was a literal mother deer. And she's pregnant. She's got a baby fawn she's going to give birth to. She's going to try and find somewhere quiet, safe, away from all the other creatures, somewhere warm, private. But first and foremost, safe. That is the instinct for good reason. That holds true for human mothers as well. It holds true for your mother. She's going to want somewhere safe to deliver. And I, for one, have never in my life walked into a hospital feeling like this is the most comfortable place I can imagine being. However comfortable they make it, it is never comfortable to go to the doctor or the hospital because something's wrong, right? Implicitly, subconsciously, you tell yourself there's something wrong when we go to the doctor in the hospital. So psychologically, you're behind the eight ball from the get-go. If you're a mother trying to relax because it's time to bring forth this child. Then you add on top of it the smell. People you don't know, doctors, nurses you don't know coming in and out. People you don't know walking around outside in the hallways. It's stressful. And that's why our third and our fourth and our fifth children were all born at home by choice. We decided. We decided on the front end in part because there were no complications. Our first two deliveries went great. In part because there were incompetent ways of handling very simple basic requests that we had made repeatedly. One of those requests was, and my wife made this request early on, I don't want a male physician and I don't want a male nurse. 
That makes me really uncomfortable. Well, why not? Why, why wouldn't that make you uncomfortable? Maybe that's okay for that to make you uncomfortable. But then you tell the hospital that, you tell the staff at the hospital that, and it should be written down somewhere. But they should be able to accommodate that if they have female nurses and female doctors, which they did and they do. And yet, again and again, they would send a male doctor or a male nurse, and then we're having the conversation over again, like, hey, can I ask you to step outside the room? Like, she doesn't want you here. Is it too much to ask that if there's a female physician, female nurse, she'd be the one to attend to my wife? But then, too, the other piece of it, we found anyways, and this was years ago, so hopefully it's better now, but what we found was as the man in the equation, it was all too common for the staff at the hospital to treat me like a piece of furniture like hey wait a second like do I get to be part of this conversation at all am I in a position where if my wife is just not able to tell you again for the dozenth time she's allergic to latex or she doesn't want an epidural or she doesn't want a male doctor or a male nurse attending to her are you going to listen to me? Are you listening to me right now? There's something about that that just seems off. Now, I will say, in Montana, and maybe this is a feature of being from eastern Montana myself, having that mindset, that ethos, that culture firmly in mind, knowing it, being from it, having expectations derived from it. But our... Fifth and sixth sons, Enoch and John, we wanted to have home births, but it just didn't work out. And I've told my wife every step of the way, hey, if it, just, if it doesn't work out to have a home birth and we need to go in, well, then it's a good thing there are hospitals and doctors and all that. I'm not saying there's no place for them. If for some reason labor stalls out, it just something's not right here. Some, something's not proceeding the way that it's supposed to, well then, yeah, let's go in. So Enoch and John, we ended up going to Miles City, St. Vincent's Hospital in Miles City, Montana. We had a really good experience with both times. Dr. Gallo, if she's still there, was fantastic, very considerate, very kind, very wise very knowing in her way of relating to Lauren and myself and the whole process. Definitely helped to set all of us more at ease, which helps the process to proceed apace. <laughs> but aside from Dr. Gallo, our two examples, our two experiences with hospital births in Ohio, there was just a awkwardness and a disconnectedness, a lack of coordination. We weren't in sync. And that added additional stress, which was counterproductive. Now, in our day and age, to say, you know, 
home births, not so bad. We're good with home births. Actually, we would prefer a home birth. For us to say that strikes a lot of people as odd, maybe fewer and fewer people as odd, especially through COVID, all that. But I think, honestly, part of Lauren's and my reaction to the whole COVID business, the skepticism for Dr. Fauci or anybody else, putting doctor at the front of somebody's name before you introduce them, before they tell you something, is not going to impress us. Now, if you're a doctor and also you prove yourself to be a decent, humble, knowledgeable, caring person, respectful person, conversational, patient, well, then I'm impressed, right? That's that's when you being a doctor is going to score points on my scoreboard. But if you waltz in and the only thing that recommends your opinion is the fact that you're a doctor, but you're a total jerk, and also some of the things you're saying just don't add up and you don't have time, won't take the time, stubbornly refuse to take the time to answer even a basic question because the most important thing to you is your ego, you're fired. You're fired. Not with that attitude. So we go through COVID and we're thinking, wait a second, like, why? Right? Why are all of these other people so hypnotized by the so-called experts? And you find, actually, I think, through the COVID ordeal this past two years, for one thing, not all doctors agree on some of these controversial things, which is good to know, which is encouraging. It gives me some optimism. But for two, very often, what becomes the established treatment plan, the official narrative, the official diagnosis and treatment plan schema can be thanked to nothing so sophisticated, high-minded, and scientific as we typically assume. People are people. Doctors, nurses, they're people. Right? They can be wrong on things. They don't know everything. They can be tempted to be egotistical, hubristic, condescending, tyrannical. And like Professor Higgins at the beginning of that clip, the beginning of uh, this episode, I played the clip from My Fair Lady. Rather than finding out that anytime you're around a woman, you're tyrannical and then deciding you're going to commit to bachelorhood, being single the rest of your life, would it be too much to ask for you to just work on not being a tyrant? Rather than being alone, why don't you just fix yourself to not be a tyrant? Behave yourself, contain yourself, control yourself, restrain yourself in any event. When my wife is in delivery and labor, that is hardly the time where I want to be pulling doctors aside to give them some advice on their personality, on their bedside manner. If you think you don't have time (laughs) to answer my questions, to hear our preferences, 
I think I don't have time to explain to you. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. My wife really does amaze me. And I just, I, I don't know how she does it. Right? People will say that about us raising these children, but when it comes to carrying them for nine months and then delivering them, bringing them into the world, nurturing them, all of that, it's so wonderful and odd and fascinating and awesome. I find in the past few deliveries, when she's in labor, that I have been extra nonchalant. And from early on, my assumption has been that if I can stay calm, I can help her stay calm. And if she can stay calm, that's going to help her to get through labor and delivery as quickly and smoothly as possible. If I can stay calm, that'll help her to stay calm. But I'll be honest with you, it always, it always is a act <laughs> to some extent or another. I don't necessarily feel as calm as I'm appearing. This is somewhat a facade. Now, if I had reason to be panicked, some legitimate thing that I need to rise to the occasion and do, well, then I would be doing that thing. But usually that's just it. That's... That's the difficult thing, is the waiting game. And that helplessness, that helpless feeling of, I've done all I can for you, and you're in pain, and you're suffering, and that hurts. Like, I hurt to see you hurting, and to not feel I can do anything to alleviate that. Except to stay calm, actually. And that, I think that's what I've picked up on. If there's a big lesson I've learned in eight years... It is, having done all else, got her a hot towel or ice chips or put my fist in her back or checked in on her, chatted with her, given her some space or cracked a joke, hopefully well-timed, not enough to make her bust a gut, but enough to get her to smile a little bit. That might be all there is I can do. Now, you can pray for your wife, young men. You can pray for your wife, pray that the Lord protects her, protects the child. At the end of the day, that's the main thing. It's not about having home births or not home births or epidurals or not epidurals or C-sections or natural deliveries or any of that. At the end of the day, is she healthy? Is baby healthy? If that happens or is more likely to happen at home, well, then we're going to stay home. If it's more likely to happen at the hospital, well, then we're going to go to the hospital. I think with that, there's a lot that suddenly looks different when you're in that waiting period. You're expecting this new person to come into the world, to see them face-to-face. -face. This child you're going to get to meet really truly, for the first time. Your wife is in pain. 
there's different kinds of things that occur to you in those hours or in the worst cases, days when you're thinking through these things, turning them over in your head, trying to occupy yourself some productive fashion. One of those thoughts that has occurred to me and become more entrenched in my thinking with how many children we've had delivered, we need to get better at questioning the science. In order for the science to work, you have to question it. Or else it's not really science, it's dogma. We have to get better at questioning the science and not caring so much what people are going to think of us for that. Which is more important, my wife's health and safety or what you think of me? If I've got to think about that, if I've got to get back to you on that, got to mull that over, well then I have some work to do. We have some work to do. If you're putting me in the position where you want me to care more about what you think of me than about my wife's well-being, my unborn child's well-being, we need to grow. We need to mature. We need to get past that. We need to change our perspective and our attitude, clearly. And I think it's good that for a husband, for a father, to be going there in his thinking right before his child is there face-to-face in his arms. I think it's good and it helps to clarify, hopefully, how that father raises that child. I mean, before birth, before delivery is concluded, that line of thinking should inform how the husband protects his wife. But after delivery, that kind of thinking should inform the way that a father raises his child, trains up his child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is something you can do, men. You can pray when your wife is suffering in pain. You can pray for her. You can pray with her. That also is a good thing. You're just not able to control all of the things that you might want to control when it comes to providing for and protecting and loving and serving your wife or your children well. But God is sovereign over all of it, and he has a good purpose and a good plan for it working out the way that it will. Trust in him, trust in the unchangeable character of his purpose. You set that example. Don't just set the example of being calm, but set the example of being calm because you trust in his purpose. There's no better way for a child to be born into this world than with their mother and their father firmly relying by God's grace on the unchangeable character of God's purpose. What's safer, more secure, more comforting, more healthy environment could you provide than that? I got to run though. I am working from home this week. I am on baby watch. Need to make sure my wife is doing okay. See how she's feeling. See if she needs anything. If she's gone back to sleep. It's early in the morning still. We'll see how she's doing. I'll get myself another cup of coffee. Liz Messer is going to come by and pick up probably the younger kiddos. I think the older two may stay. I don't know. I'm not sure. But she's going to 
pick up our kiddos, take them back to her house, let them hang out, get out of our house for a little bit because they're getting a little stir-crazy. Plus, that'll quiet things down for Lauren and for me. Which, God bless you, Liz Messer. Thank you for that. But you can be praying for my wife and Andrew and myself and our family and our household. Hopefully, I've got an announcement here shortly, and I can tell you the story all about how it went. But God willing, we'll live and do this or that. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.